this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. This one is thanks to our Dig Me Out Union at Patreon. And also, we'll get into it, but do uh, it's thanks to our Dig Me Out Board of Directors at Patreon. Mm-hmm. And of course, you can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at patreon.com forward slash dig me out. And I'll get into that real quickly here, Jay. This is our second roundtable of 2019, but it's the first one that was exclusively chosen by our board of directors at Patreon. We said we want to do one. Here's some genres of, of what we've done in the past of, of or, or topics we've done. You know, we've done digging your scene. We've done genre dissections. We've done in the 90s, sophomore slumps revisited, and they picked a genre dissection. And then we said, okay, here's some different things that people have talked about us that we should cover in our, our our earlier roundtable, new metal came up. So he said, would you like us to do a new metal roundtable? And they said, no, we don't want you to do a new metal roundtable. Here's the next option, pop punk. And they said, yes. Yeah. So we're doing a pop punk roundtable, which slots in nicely, Jay. Last year we did power pop. A few years yeah. back we did punk. So I kind of feel like this is the natural progression through the 90s, weaving our way through the genres of the decade. Very true. And a decade that obviously had many uh, different genres that had their moment, obviously. And we decided that since our Power Pop roundtable went so well last year, much like in Avengers 2, when they got the team back together, we decided to reassemble the Avengers of Power Pop. So we have brought back from around the country, from Texas, Mr. Eric Rubs. Hello. How y'all doing? Great. Welcome back. Once again, you were here last month. Yes. You could co-host sometime if you want. I'm just saying one of us would like a break every once in a while. We've been doing this for 422 episodes in a row. We'd kind of, you know, we need some CTO. Maybe I could, like, just impersonate one of you guys and hope that nobody could tell the difference. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Dig Me Out Podcast. I'm not Tim Minichi. And I'm not Jason Ziak. Something like that. No way that my voice is deeper than yours. Yeah. No, you got to speak. From the great and I'm assuming very warm state of Florida, Jeff Takis, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Yeah, it's um, probably warmer here than where you are, Tim. Um, Well, today it was 57. On Thursday, it was negative 20. So that was fun for my sinuses. Yes. I can't say the same, Tim. Can't say the same. We never got to that minus twenty here. Yeah, in Florida. that was fun. That was that was a whole lot of fun. And then, if I'm remembering correctly, from the state of Michigan, am I right, Ryan? You nailed it. We won't we won't yep. talk about football, but we will talk about your band, Extra <laughs> Arms, and the great record you put out last year, Headacre. Everybody should go and stream that or buy it if it's available. I don't know. There was a limited run of vinyl. Is there still vinyl available? Oh, of course there is. Okay. <laughs> go buy that. It's a good record. Welcome back to the show. Thanks. Hey, it's me, Ryan. <laughs> We're going to talk about pop punk. So I'm going to be the first one to say I'm not clear on what differentiates pop punk 
from punk, I can kind of guess what differentiates it from power pop. But punk is a little trickier. So I want to go around the room before we get into our Patreon comments and ask, what is something that makes pop punk unique to you versus just regular punk music? Ryan, since I ended with you in the introductions, I'm going to start with you. What's something that makes pop punk unique? Well, I think the best way to answer it is how, in my mind, it's it's different than than just straight punk, and I and I feel like sort of straight up punk is is angry and kind of rallying against something, whereas pop punk seems to be a little bit more about having a good time. You know, um, it's a little bit goofier and and not as um, sort of anti-establishment. You know, if you think about pop punk and and how it sort of became more mainstream. I mean, it was on. TRL, you know, MTV embraced by teenagers and, you know, on the radio, uh, right alongside whatever else was popular backstreet boys or whatever it was. So, you know, I, I don't think the clash or the Ramones or, or, you know, um, the sex pistols would have ever imagined such a, such, uh, mainstream success with a musical genre with the word punk in it. So to me, it's, it's a friendlier, uh, more colorful and and perhaps a little bit more accessible version of of punk rock. So okay, so friendlier attitude and lyrical subject matter would would that would be it. there? I'm sure. I, okay. Yeah. I'll All let right. The other guys uh, talk musically, maybe. But um, <laughs> Eric, what would be one thing that you think differentiates pop punk from maybe some of the other sounds of punk? Or power pop. This is this is definitely branching off of what Ryan just said, but essentially it's you're not afraid to be very warmly melodic. You know, all music has melodic. melody, whether it's you know it's like anti-melodic or like anything. But the point is, is like it's not afraid to be melodic, as in you want to sing on key, you want your guitars to be on key, and um, you know that was kind of seen as like a polished up way of punk rock, but. Um, I think when you had a band like the Descendants, they really knew how to have that kind of rough edges, but also not be afraid to be melodic. Okay. Jeff, anything to add to the options of what makes pop punk slightly different than punk? Um, Yeah, I like um, what some of the others uh, said about it being a bit more accessible and, um, you know, being brighter. Um, I would, a couple of things that come to my mind to add to that are... um, a lot of times pop punk bands will use harmonies, vocal harmonies, um, maybe more than a traditional punk band. And um, I would also um, like to add just kind of thinking about, um, you know, thinking about, you know, concept of like going tracing back to all the way back to like the Beach Boys and thinking about some of the songs that they did and then thinking about those songs being a lot faster with an edge would be how I would define pop punk. Ah, yeah. I think the harmonies are maybe the slight influence of the power pop end of the pop end of pop punk. Maybe it's, it's, um, it's possible. I mean, it's, um, you know, we'll probably get into a little bit of the history here in a little bit, but yeah. uh, Yeah. Um, so we did get some comments and, and some of this plays into what they, said over at patreon who i have to mention whitney beeler 
jumped up from the 5 to the 1950 level, which means he's on our board of directors now. He's helping us pick not only our roundtables, but also our 80s episodes, which will have our first one coming up in uh, the month of February. I'm not going to reveal what it is just yet, but there was a winner. We did not have a, a tie, correct, Jay? Yes, yes. They look close, but uh, yes, we have a winner. Excellent. So... Uh, do you have that page open with the comments for the pop punk roundtable? It's loading. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'll start. I'll get to them because um, there were a couple that I, I wanted to highlight. I'll start with Terry McCook. She says, I can't wait for this discussion. I'm interested to see what the consensus is on the line between pop punk and quote unquote real punk, which I think we've started to address there. Um, pop Pop punk was attractive to me because... Uh, back then, I was the right age for it. I was 13 the year Dookie came out, but the pop-punk side of the scene was also less doctrinaire about who got to come to the party, so it was an easier point of entry. The real punks I knew looked down on pop-punk, and you weren't considered punk until you took off the quote-unquote training wheels and devoted your life to the Discord back catalog. I was more interested in moshing with my friends to the accessible stuff. Of course, there's also a line between pop-punk and ska... That's right, those dreaded checkers again. We had a lot of bands in our local scene that were right on the dividing line. If you were remotely punk and lived on the Gulf Coast in the mid-90s, for example, I probably saw you at a pain show. There's a lot to parse here is what I'm saying. Pain show. is I don't know what that band is. Gulf Coast. Anybody know what, what Tara is referencing there? I'm going to refer to nope. Jeff. I was going to say, I'm, I'm afraid not. I grew up oh. in Philadelphia, so I just migrated. To gotcha, gotcha. So Tara stumped us. Um, yep. That is an important point, though, because at least maybe up until the 90s, it seemed like there was a rigidity to punk in oh, terms yeah. of its uh, who was who's punk in, you know, in that jaw box. What's this jawbreaker? Or jawbreaker, excuse me, line. Yeah. Um, One, two, three, four, who's punk, who's, <laughs> what's the score? Exactly. Um, it seems like maybe in what Tara mentioned that there was an opening up in pop punk to a broader audience that maybe yeah, was less to, uh, in- intimidated. I was going to say, yeah, to, to jocks. Right. Which which is I mean, interesting because that's not where punk started, and then it turned into, in some respects, a very jockish, macho, which you can read various books and watch. You know, like the Salad Days documentary on DC hardcore would be an example of when punk went hardcore. That kind of which we've co- we we covered it in her ska. That's probably one we're going to have to get to, as far as the genre. And I know Jeff will be on that episode. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked. Yeah, and then uh, hardcore is a whole nother because we talk about post-hardcore a lot, but we don't actually get into hardcore a lot. Jay, do you have that page up? Yeah, Justin Wexler said, it's interesting because the 90s started with two dominant flavors of pop punk. The more hardcore-influenced epitaph-type stuff, Bad Religion, No Effects, Pennywise, and the obviously Ramones 50s pop-influenced lookout type stuff screeching weasel the queers mr t experience yet both sort of evolved into the mainstream uh mainstream mall hot topic punk 
Oh, hot topic. That dominated <laughs> the 2000s. New Found Glory, Taking Back Sunday, some lesser known 90s bands. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, Zoinks, Chicks Dig It, Hagfish, which we recently had up in a poll. The Parasites, Weston, and China Drum. Mm, I've not heard of most of those, other than Hagfish, because like you mentioned, it was in a poll. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting, because I believe Epitaph and... Uh, Epitaph. Epitaph, sorry. And Lookout are both California-based punk labels, right? Yep. yep. Um, but it seemed like the two different labels were going in two different directions in terms of their output. Um, I'm not that familiar. I know that Lookout was the home of Green Day originally. Is mm-hmm. that right? Um, yeah, and Operation Ivy. Okay. So I guess one of the things we need to talk about, and um, this came up in one of the other comments, is does pop punk actually start with the 90s? I always kind of thought it did, but then when you start tracing it back to the Ramones or the Buzzcocks or the Jam, what is, what is your all's opinion on is pump, pop punk a 90s phenomenon or was this, is it something that in retrospect would be applied to bands from as far back as the 70s? Eric, what do you th- what are your th- thoughts on that? I would say pop punk as a term really started in the 90s, but it was very cyclical from what happened in the late 70s as well as uh, going into the mid 80s, is that you had punk, which was very rough around the edges, and then you get it very polished and you have it as new wave. Um, you also have all these punk bands, but the thing was is that they were not uh, scared of you know, being more than just an angry, angular sort of dirty rock band. And and so that's where you had like Green Day, Bad Religion, No Effects, all those fat wreck and epitaph bands that and also Pennywise and Face to Face is that there was just this melodicism that really came to the forefront. And, you know, you can kind of look at it as like a trend in music. But as far as the style, it wasn't necessarily new. Um, I will say this. Uh, you listen to a strung out song that was released in 1997, uh, much faster than uh, a knack song in the 80s. Let's just put it that way. Gotcha. Well, I guess I have a like to me, I think we have to talk a little bit about like the production sound of pop punk being it it seems to me that like it's very like clean and especially in the guitars it is much more dialed down. Like when I think of like say the Sex Pistols or even the Ramones, some of the Ramones stuff like the guitars are pretty raw. Whereas right. when you hear listen to you know Enema of the State, those guitars are pretty pristine, and it's very radio friendly in terms of the production. So it would be hard to like retroactively apply that backwards. Yeah, a lot. I mean, a lot of them are uh, like metal tones. I don't. Maybe that's what the um, they were using. You know, buying cheap, you know, secondhand metal guitars and amp setups that. Uh, definitely had a super compressed sometimes uh, very kind of classic metal sound when you really just isolate the guitars oh yeah and you had a band like Lagwagon. all those guys were into metal and so but they wanted to be a little bit more melodic and suddenly bam they have pop punk you- 
Face, uh, Matt Riddle and uh, Trevor Keith were huge Iron Maiden fans, and uh, but then they got in, uh, hit to uh, you know No Control by Bad Religion, and uh, I think uh, Milo goes to college by The Descendants, and suddenly they were like, yeah, let's do this instead, you know. So it's like they came from that hardcore punk background, and they just decided to be more melodic. I think you can I think you can hear it a lot in the drum tones as well like i think people are are obviously going to focus on the guitars and the vocals but i think something that really sticks out to me when i hear that kind of music is is how clicky the kick drum can be and how sort of cranked and sort of like clangy and high um tonality wise the the snare drum ends up being so it, mm. it kind of has this like it's like obvi- I, I i would assume it's, it's very intentional to kind of cut through so it kind of moves the song quickly through and, and really kind of hits people in a way where you immediately kind of connect with it. Um, and you don't have to like search for, you know, if you listen to like, obviously the, you know, uh, drum tones of, of the buzzcocks or, or the undertones or, you know, any bands that sort of might be, you know, claimed as like, you know, uh, I guess like grandfathers of the of the genre, like you know, th- those those drum tones and, and guitar tones and, and and the way everything was kind of presented was not as in your face as you know it sort of became in the '90s. And I think the advent of computers and playing to a grid and kind of being able to kind of like make things sound perfect, auto tune, like all these things started to kind of like crop up a little bit a little bit later in the '90s, but like. By the by, the two thousands. I mean, it was pretty much the norm for all of these bands to be playing, you know, uh, you know to a click track and and being very like, you know, um, uh, gridded out and and sort of like everything cleaned up to a T on a computer. Huh. Yeah, I I like can hear that too. the The drum sound is is sometimes polarizing for me with the, some of these bands because it's so sharp and cutting yeah i think it's important to note like thinking about this era and talking about you know punk rock in the 90s there were bands there were punk bands in the 90s that got popular who weren't playing pop punk and i think that's an important distinction talking about a band like bad religion or even face to face i personally don't lump either band into that category um despite you know both bands having some level of popularity in the in the decade i just i feel like it should that should be stated in this conversation that you know some of the bands that got big you know thinking about like you know the offspring or or bands like that may have gotten popular but i don't know if i would consider them a pop punk band i think that's a good distinction 
Well, and those bands were putting out records in the eighties, you know, kind well, of right. before any of any of uh, that type of music kind of got co-opted and and a label slapped on it. I mean, and and you know, I would say that that bad one of Bad Religion's best records actually came out in the nineties, which is uh, Stranger Than Fiction. But um, I agree with you. I, I don't think those either of those bands, while they're melodic to to an extent, you know, they were on a whole different trip. You know, they weren't trying to get on MTV. They 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 did, but you know that wasn't their that wasn't their goal. So I wanted yeah, to- face. I would just gonna, I just wanted to interject. The thing about face to face is that I related to the music when I was a teenager. I related, I relate to it in a different way as a twenty year old. And now as I'm about to turn forty, it's like I relate to it even more. So it's it's like they were different in terms of they weren't singing about hey my mom sucks and my job stinks and I you know I, I want to get out of this town you know that kind of stuff it it was definitely not juvenile uh, which is a common tendency in a lot of pop punk. So I want I want to throw in a comment from Alex Gibson over our Patreon page. He said it's probably partly because I live far from the land of the Warp Tour. But I never heard the term pop punk until all the small things was everywhere. I certainly don't consider the bands of the first half of the 90s to be pop punk. They are just punk. Or if you need a subgenre suffix, melodic punk. I lost interest in this sort of music after Green Day made it big because everyone I heard seemed to be trying to sound like them. That said, I have a large soft spot for Nimrod. Pop punk only came into being when things changed from making punk rock that made money, such as Green Day or The Offspring, to making punk rock to make money. The journey from Milo Goes to College to Enema of the State is the same journey as was made from Black Sabbath's Paranoid to Warrant's Cherry Pie. So I don't know if it's that big a gap. (laughs) That seems like a much bigger, (laughs) bigger gap between Paranoid and Cherry Pie. But I think there's something to be said where bands heard or maybe, you know, teenagers that were just learning their instruments, they hear Green Day and they want and they hear the melody that Billy o- Joe Armstrong has a knack for and they follow that same route or even the offspring, but they it gets polished in the in the 90s way because of the fact like like you mentioned Ryan with now there's computers to record on as opposed to analog and there's a cleaner you can get a cleaner sound and um also it's that's the first you know generation that has been completely grown up now of you know if they're making music in 95 96 that means they grew up on MTV they have an idea of like music being more than just you know records you buy it's a whole industry it's it's a whole image thing and they're being and and rock music being being pop music crossing over in the 90s so i don't know if i agree that it's as i don't know that seems dismissive to me to call it cherry pie to compare it to paranoid but um i think there's definitely something to be said that there's a a line with green day and and maybe the offspring as well um did anyway else see that from alex's point of view as well with regards to where green day stands in all this yeah i mean i i would say you know i think maybe a a little bit closer comparison could be you know blink 182 is to green day as you know silver chairs to nirvana or something like that where you know look you can't you cannot discredit 
or take for granted how incredibly talented of a songwriter Billy Joel, Joe from Green Day is, was, um, and how influ- influential that band um, was for a generation of kids who were already probably, I mean, at least in my case, you know, into Nirvana and Pearl Jam and grunge and kind of like starting to wrap their heads around playing music and, you know, trying to figure out how to play guitar and then hearing Green Day for, at least for me, it, it, it was very much the same kind of Ramones, uh, type of, you know, thing that many people who are a bit older than me, you know, hearing the Ramones said I can do that. You know, I had a very similar experience with Green Day where I was already in Nirvana, but it seemed like a little bit out of my grasp, even though it was very simple and straightforward. And then, you know, when I heard Dookie and then some of those records before it, I was very much like, okay, this is like the Beatles, but faster. And, you know, it seemed like I could pull it off. And, and I think a ton of kids really responded to that and started bands. Some of those bands are God awful and some of those bands, rule. (laughs) you know? And so, uh, I mean, same thing with Nirvana, you know, there's a ton of bands that kind of sprouted from that, that suck, you know, and, and we can make a list a mile on. But uh, I, I guess my po- my point is, you know, there's always going to be some band that like lights that fire, and then you know there's going to be a, a domino effect where you know uh, the bands that follow are going to go in, in maybe a lot of different directions, um, and you're going to get some crap, and you're going to get some really good shit, and you know, um, I think in Green Day's case, you know, they were. Uh, they were already coming into their own and coming out of something that was like a little bit more juvenile and starting to mature and, you know, write records like, you know, Nimrod and, and Warning and stuff like that, which to me are, are really great examples of a band that like tried to push its limits despite what was trending. also got to think about how kind of the culture was as far as pop culture from 1991 until 1994 it was all about like this you know this sort of this complete antithesis to hair metal and but it was all dark and it was all openly talking about taking drugs i mean allison chain's dirt is essentially all about taking heroin and so then kurt cobain kills himself and like a lot of teenagers, like I think all of us, were kind of like, well, what are we going to listen to next? And so along comes Longview, and suddenly it's like, man, this is this is kind of that same angsty thing, but it's not openly talking about you know being addicted to heroin. Instead, it's just like I'm bored and yeah. uh, I just want to rage. And it was just kind of like it was such a much more accessible thing because it wasn't so serious. 
you know? Well, it's, total, it's totally relatable. I mean, it's about jerking off. You know, and any 15-year-old who heard that's like, yeah, I, I do that. <laughs> I mean, I remember, I remember riding around in the car when that song would come on the radio and, and, and that, that part would come up and I would, like, try to, like, figure out how to accidentally change the channel so my mom didn't hear it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it was like, it, it really hit you as a teenager if you were a teenager you know, in 1993 or four or whenever that record came out, you know? Yeah. And, I, you know, thinking about the, the analogy that kind of started this little part of the conversation off, I've been thinking about it as I've been listening to the answers. And I actually, I don't disagree with the analogy, but I have an, another offering to the analogy, which I think is a better uh, a better description. At the end of that, they were comparing kind of like Blink-182 to Warrant. Um, I actually would take out Blink and I would insert a band like Lit. And then I think you have an equal analogy of of what that person was trying to illustrate that point. Ah, Lit came up in our discussion on on Patreon. Whitney Bueller said, uh, I'm more fond of the punk pop pop punk of the 2000s there was a lot of it and i love the melodies and harmonies and the occasional desire to play more than three chords i get it punk was dangerous and had something rebellious to say but i really only enjoyed straight up punk music when it was i was in a particularly bad mood which isn't often preferences are subjective i never consider pop punk to be entirely ripped off from punk it was lighter in lyrical content and mood which we discovered or discussed but what's wrong with that grumpy gus so angry all the time so thinking about a few oddities or maybe songs by bands that certainly must have influenced the later explosion, he uh, mentioned All's album, She's My Ex, Bob Goblin's One Down, One Across, The Descendants' I'm the One, Jimmy Eat World's song, Your New Aesthetic, Lit's My Own Worst Enemy, Presidents of the United States of America, Lump, and Sugar's Helpless. I, so I can't I'm sorry I have to jump in I can't contemplate I'm, I'm not having to do everything I can to keep my head attached to my body <laughs> thinking about all in the descendants being in the same category as lit um <laughs> I'm sorry like whoever said that like much love to you but uh I can't like lit is it would be in a completely different category to me um than you know bands like all in the descendants I don't. I don't know enough don't, of the lit catalog uh, to even know if I are they really a punk band. I just know that really annoying guitar riff that that bore into my head. All the years that I have been doing podcasts with Jeff Takis, <laughs> I have finally heard him be somewhat angry, <laughs> like, wow. right. and I agree with him. I mean, it, it, it's more like this. It's like it kind of all kind of blended together by like 97 98 to where it's kind of like well this band's you know they're they're kind of dressing the part but do they really sound the part and in the case of lit they dress like punks but they just were kind of like a radio rock band which at that time was kind of the only way that you could get played on the radio and i believe at last check they're now a country band i'm i'm not kidding they're like a country band so are you serious yeah because they want to fit in with the market that has the most money other than oh. hip hop or pop, so um, yeah, I didn't we think, have. I didn't we think it was have possible a, have less respect for that band than I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> there's just there's a whole other uh, angle going on here of like why was it in the 90s it was all like you either were pop punk and if you weren't you were a sellout so how come it's okay that all these like guys that are fully tatted up about punk rock and punk rock ethos then put on a stetson and go yeehaw and it's totally acceptable that they're a country band just don't get it it's not anyway back to you we don't accept it we, re- we reject it that doesn't work for us i think in the like as the 90s progressed and Green Day got successful and kind of started this explosion, because let's face it, like after they exploded, all the major labels tried to find the next Green Day. I mean, that was, I mean, so they, you know, and some of them got some like hits from that. I mean, obviously Blink 182 became huge. And so then, so then, like, so like you start to go after that. And if that's like when you start like in the late nineties, when, as Eric was talking about the, the lines got fuzzy and all of a sudden, like a band, like, like an all who, you know, continued to put records out into the two thousands, um, you know, could be considered a pop punk band, but yet then you have more of these radio rock bands that emerge, you know, like lit like good charlotte you know some bands some bands like that that are it's kind of like this concept of like a carbon copy of a carbon copy of a carbon copy of a carbon copy and that's the distinction for me from some of those bands so you know someone somewhere can probably trace with a really thin pencil a line between those different bands but they're so far removed from one another and it just so happened that like those two bands, like thinking about all and lit were putting out records roughly at the same time, but they sound nothing alike. Right. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to say to that it's kind of similar to what Jeff was saying, you know, you get kind of further away from the influence, right? So like, you know, green day, if we're going to kind of use them as like the barometer here, like, you know, they were influenced obviously by the Ramones, I think is, is a pretty clear one, but you know, I mean, Billy Joe has, has been, you know, pretty adamant about his love for, you know, the replacements and for Husker Du and these bands that were, you know, making punk or punk kind of sounding music that was also melodic, but, you know, kind of ragtag and, you know, with songs that sort of were emotional and, and, and all of that. And then, you know, that sort of filters into what they're doing. And then they kind of, you know, take that, you know, torch and start running with it. But then, you know, next thing you know, this tiny band from, you know, uh, Berkeley or wherever they're from, you know, California becomes, you know, the biggest band in the world. And, you know, as they move further away from that influence, what other, what you know the kids who swarm bands post green day also start to get further away from that kind of you know more sort of quote-unquote credible influences that green day might have you know so yeah. it, the, the influences start to narrow and then you know bands start cropping up that are really only influenced by something that's you know uh about as young as they are you know in terms of like oh, yeah what they're looking what they're looking back to is not super far back you know so that's where you get some 41 that's where you get you know um lit that's where you get uh whatever um 
something corporate. Is that a band? I don't even know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like yeah. trying to, you know, pull, pull bands out of a hat here at this point, but like, you know, they're not, they're not, they're, they're, understanding of the history of punk is less uh the the depth of it is is not as um significant as a green day or even an offspring perhaps you know who i'm not a fan of but you know i think that they probably were tapping a little bit more into you know the 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 kind of harder edge stuff that we referenced earlier and then maybe a little bit of you know van halen too or something yeah, here's here's just kind of like a trajectory that I'd like to share. Sorry, uh, Jason. Uh, uh, just uh, it was like this. Blink One Eighty Two was originally just this fun pop punk band, and then they spoofed boy bands in a in the video for all the small things. Then they became marketed essentially as a boy band, and to just kind of go off of what Ryan was just saying is that there was this British uh, trio called Busted. Do y'all remember that band? No. Okay, um, they just had hits in England. I think their record had come out in America long after uh, they first broke through. But they were just three guys. Uh, it was like a, two guitarists and a bassist. You know, it was essentially a pop band, and uh, they were they were exactly the Blink One Eighty Two model, just playing to you know all these uh, teenage girls in England. And it was like I couldn't help but be cynical about that. At the same time, I think Enema of the State is still the, one of the best records that Blink-182 has done. And I talked about it on the last episode, Roundtable, with you guys. So it's it's just more of a matter of, you know, there's a great record, and then there's a bunch of just kind of, you know, uh, not-so-great stuff that comes out afterwards. It's just the cyclical nature of the recording industry. And, and I just wanted to call out the not to lose the offspring in the in this whole story because if memory serves for me at least they were the ones to kind of break this whole thing open right i mean they were the first one i remember to have a big radio breakthrough song and then Mm -hmm. it seemed like after that it was a trickle and then all of a sudden it exploded within a couple years of a lot of bands um that we're talking about now starting to to come out not that i'm a huge fan of theirs but uh, they were the first one i remember having a major radio hit Separated. Hey, the man you're disrespecting me. Take him out. You gotta keep them separated. I distinctly remember the summer of 1994. It was um, Basket Case, Long View, and Come Out and Play. Keep them separated. I mean, that was yep. constantly on. MTV and radio, you know, and and it's just like coincidental that it's all like Longview came out just like a month after Kurt Cobain died. And I think that like that time and thinking about like those two bands, Green Day and Offspring, they're they're running in parallel to me in that, by the way, um, Offspring's record Smash, which is the one that has come out and play on it. Um, was this is a crazy fact? It was the it's the greatest selling independent release in music history. Wow, which is yeah. mind blowing to think. I didn't about. know it was independent. Yeah, yeah. Epitaph released that record. Oh, okay. And um, and 
they made a ton of money off of it. <laughs> um, but those two bands are like so before we were talking about like the, the distinction between kind of like a melodic punk, some call it like skate punk and pop punk. Those two bands, again, both got wildly popular summer 94 I, the, those videos were all over um like eric said but i would say that one of the two of them was a pop punk band which is green day while the other was more of a you know kind of like the 90s version of what punk rock became in that kind of skate punk you know epitaph model and i think that's actually a really good like they're because they sound they don't sound alike they both got popular right around yeah. the same time yeah. but Right, they have very different sounds. Very different sound. So, where does uh, Rancid fit in all this? We haven't talked about them, <laughs> and um, they had a pretty unique sound. Yeah, were I'm pretty, pretty, pretty successful. I mean, they were dogged for years about sounding too much like the Clash. I think they just kind of sounded like their own. I mean, and out come the Wolves. That's a phenomenal record. Oh yeah, uh, holds up, holds up really well. Yes, it does. Um, yeah. I mean, Rancid are 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 fucking punk <laughs> they're punk i mean yeah. look at them first of all i would not fuck with any of those guys <laughs> uh, is that the test large that i think that's the test whether large you know you're pop punk or, or just punk is whether or not you would fuck with the band yeah I, i'm pretty sure i could i could i could beat up all all the guys in lit i'm pretty sure i can take rancid i'm i'm almost positive could could beat my ass uh very quickly but um you know those that band even though i was not um super into them um you know back in the 90s i've grown to really respect who they are and what they did and i think that they're um you know yes the clash influences is is you can't argue with it but you know they really mix genres um with ska and, and and punk and kind of pub rock and you know, uh, all this stuff that, um, you know, some of these other bands are classified as pop punk wouldn't dare touch, you know, um, and they did it in a way that was purely, you know, um, done as, as fans of music. I mean, Rancid is one of the probably most popular, uh, record nerd bands I can think of, you know, I mean, those guys, um, clearly love music and, uh, you know, I, I tip my hat to them because, um, you know, they did what they wanted and they did it their way and they still wrote some really great, you know, super melodic, catchy songs that like landed, you know, I mean, Time Bomb um, is, is, you know, a really great song. And, and to my, for my money, Ruby Soho is one of the, the fucking best, you know, if you want to call it pop punk or whatever you want to call it, punk songs of the 90s, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, I think for, uh, for, rancid like that record and outcome the wolves i think that was like it was the right time at the right place you know for them to release that record i mean obviously you know has been talked about before that band you know came from the ashes of operation ivy um a band that also did their own thing had a, a sound that was all that was unique to themselves um rancid very similar i think if an outcome the wolves came out you know 18 months before or after it did i think the, the the group here on this round table would still be talking about how amazing it is. It just wouldn't have been on MTV. Yeah, definitely. So because you know, like Epi- Epitaph was uh, was going so strong thanks to the Offspring money. You know, right. like that 
Descendants record, Everything Sucks, that's one of their best records. Right. Um, yeah. Pennywise had released About Time, which was at that point one of like one of their biggest sellers. Now you can you know knock uh, Pennywise off because it's like they're so scared that if they expand, you know the kids aren't going to like them. But they they had a good string of uh, records and you know very distinct sound, positive message, great guitar playing, great singing, great great lyrics. Um, and so yeah, I mean Epitaph was kind of untouchable for a few years. And uh, so was Fat Wreck. I mean, God, like those Propagandi records, uh, as well as the Strung Out and Lagwagon records. I mean, yeah. So it, it, for for people like us, I mean, like Ryan, Jeff, and I are all kind of in the same age. It's like this was like a this was our music for our time. And so anytime you know, I see like younger generations getting into their version of pop punk, I can understand how the older generations wouldn't like it as much, but you gotta give respect to like teenagers getting excited about music, especially in the pop vein, pop or punk vein. Here's an aspect that I really wanna bring up, and it was brought up for a, a moment in the comments by Jay, um, which is Hot Topic, and also the warp tour and I, i'm bringing those up because it seems to me that in mentioning like offspring being the highest selling independent release uh and then the origins of green day that a lot of punk starts underground whereas it seemed to me pop punk doesn't have that underground lineage and that parallels with the fact that basically by the mid nineties, it had its own punk slash pop punk had its own dedicated tour with the warp tour. And if you wanted to dress like someone who was in quote unquote, a, a pop punk band, you would have your store of choice being hot topic to go to. And they would, you know, have all these things that you would, whatever the accoutrements were for a, a pop punk, uh, look, um, Am I am I wrong in saying that that pop punk has more of a mainstream appeal because it was built a little bit more for the mainstream? Not that it was built intentionally, but just that it it seems to be not uh, something that has risen out of a underground scene in the same way that punk obviously did, not only in the '90s but in the previous decades. Um, I don't know if I would agree wholeheartedly with that, Tim. I just think about like that concept of there being an underground scene. I mean, there were a ton of bands um, that would play what I would consider to be pop punk, you know, in the like 924 Gilman street scene in the East Bay alone um, that were very good, um, but never saw mainstream success. I mean, you know, probably the biggest example of that would be the Mr. T experience. Um, So I, I think there, there is an underground uh, for this genre, you know, back when it started in the nineties and, you know, even, you know, today. Um, but I think because I think the problem is it gets victimized by the actual music itself because it's just more accessible of music. And so it's got this punk word on it, but it's more accessible. And so it's easy to think like, you know, that it could be like a creation of like for-profit companies, you know, wanting to make money. And of course, like, you know, talking about like, you know, later years or, you know, the first kind of three or four or five years of Warp Tour, like, you know, kind of the commercialization, commoditization of punk rock happened and Hot Topic, that part I wholeheartedly agree with that that all happened. But I mean, thinking about the Warp Tour itself, um, 
I was happy and lucky enough to go to the second iteration of Warp Tour, and the bands that I saw that day are not what you would think of when you think of like you know mall punk rock. You know, I saw Rocket from the Crypt that day, Down by Law, Dancehall Crashers. Um, you know, I mean, just bands that you know are you know are kind of like afterthoughts nowadays but um you know never got big commercially um but again after several years of warp tour and you know van sponsorships and you know it, just so many other corporations getting involved uh so did the the popularity and the other right. bands that played it etc well and then also by the end of the decade you have the total request live where bands like blink 182 or are dominating that and then into the early 2000s um you know a band like some 41 i read was uh, constantly at number one with their song fat lip that was right. all over total request live um and it seemed like that was a complete like that was the antithesis of if you were a you know a punk in the uh traditional sense to see to see the most commercial outlet for music embracing and showcasing the music of that genre uh that would seem to be like an indication that maybe this is over (laughs) maybe there's no more maybe uh there isn't punk and rock anymore maybe it's just all just mainstream rock or mainstream punk. i don't know if if there's a main if there's even a terminology for mainstream punk but like all those bands i can remember like fallout boy and and uh um good charlotte and stuff you know all appearing on there just as if it was just the normal thing to do just uh you know mtv is just a part of their world as far as um being in a pop punk band which seemed unthinkable, you know, at the beginning of the nineties in the same way that Nirvana being on MTV would be unthinkable and sort of in, you know, five or six years before they broke. So, um, which just leads me into where they are, where we're at at the end of the decade going into the two thousands. Um, I mentioned a couple of the bands before we go into that. Oh, okay. I want to, uh, so I'm I'm kind of shocked doing my research and even this discussion. An artist hasn't come up as being really influential to all this, um, and and that's Joan Jett. Like, isn't she the prototype for pop punk in terms of legitimate punk roots? I mean, she was in England during the big punk explosion. She played with the Sex Pistols. She her partner's Kenny Laguna, who is like a pop writing oh. mastermind. Um, she is like the first person to put, um, other than the Ramones, like the first one to put like sugary, super hooky melody together with punk. And I guess, and she was very like involved in the nineties with helping a lot of different bands, um, and being very much, um, you know, grounded and grassroots. Um, why, why do you, is that, uh, am I off base here? And then why do, if I'm not, why is she not? talked about more as being part of this scene and or you know influential to it i I can answer that very easily pop punk in the 90s is basically a boys club you know and 
I mean, when I was doing my research going back and, you know, Googling pop punk in the nineties with quotation marks around it, uh, there is not a single band that I remember coming up that had even a female member, let alone a female singer, you know? And, uh, you know, it's, it, it was a real, I think when I think about the, the later area era of pop punk in the nineties, it was a real dark time for, <laughs> for kind of equality and like, you know, what representation, I mean, yes, there are definitely bands with women and I'm not saying that there weren't, but, um, you know, and, and no doubt could be, you know, even though they're not classified as a punk rock or a pop punk band, they were kind of floating in that same genre. Um, and, you know, arguably, uh, one of the biggest bands of that era and, and, you know, Gwen Stefani being one of the most iconic, uh, singers and front women front persons of any band, but, you know, I, to, even though to me, Joan Jett is super influential, she was in the runaways, you know, um, certainly are, are, we're planting a seed for what potentially became pop punk. You know, it was, it was a male dominated, very, in my mind, chauvinistic, kind of very sexist, honestly, um, genre of music near the, near the sort of late nineties or whatever. Uh, and you can make the same argument for grunge for sure. You know, like who besides L7 and Babies in Toyland and Hole, you know, were, were women really represented as, as well as they could have been? Probably not. But to me, you know, it was like a bunch of, you know, guys who were making dick and fart and jokes and burping and, and being just like assholes, you know, um, and, and, their fan base were maybe predominantly women, but or young teenage girls. But you know, Jesus, like, show me, show me a more white male genre of music that exists. I, I dare you. You know, <laughs> new that's metal. a good point. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, new, new metal might actually be the only thing that that uh, surpasses it. Although Evanescence is pretty big, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, I. Yeah. I think it, something like somebody like Joan Jett sadly gets pushed aside because it was such a dude centric, you know, frat party with guitars. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. You don't really get any sort of, um, sort of female driven pop punk until the two thousands. I know Avril Lavigne has been referred to as pop punk. <laughs> Paramore. Is that, would that be considered no. pop punk when they started? no, no. I, I would I would think of like Luna Chicks and Tilt, you know the, these and those sure. were great just, bands just and they had female, yeah they yeah, had uh, uh, females uh, on the lead vocals, you know great bands. Um, but yeah, it was definitely dominated by, I mean, so much of pop punk in the '90s was dominated by essentially the the hopes and dreams and lots of fears of the 15 year old suburban boy the one that didn't want to be totally accepted by people didn't want to be trendy didn't want to be all this and so like there was all this backbiting about like oh since this band is on this label you can't like this band anymore and it was just i don't know it kind of exhausted itself to the point where people got more interested in say ska or emo or hardcore and it's it's like yeah by the end of the 90s it was just kind of like 
man, anything goes. It was, you know, you could take the route of like Screeching Weasel or the Parasites, or you could try to take the trajectory of Blink-182. And it was, it was just more of like, it was just going all over the place. And then, well, Face to Face was doing their own thing, and they're still one of the greatest bands ever made. And Don't Turn Away is one of my all-time favorite records released in 1992. Bam. <laughs> so... So where does that leave us then? I you know we mentioned we got in a little bit with the the 2000s bands, um, an artist, but not entirely. Um, I kind of checked out listening to the radio and watching MTV by like 99, Jay and I have discussed this before. So I would see these names like Fallout Boy, Newfound Glory, uh, Good Charlotte. And I had no idea what any of these bands were doing or what they sounded like. They just all seemed to be wearing like eyeliner and black, you know, flamed shirts and have spiky hair. And I'm like, I don't understand what's going on with this look. Um, and uh, I turned away from all that. So are there bands from that era that you guys would point to, um, whether it's a panic from the disco? I don't know. Uh, or uh, or someone else that you'd point to and go, that's a. Uh, a strong lineage for pop punk into the two thousands. Um, yellow card. I don't know. What's what, <laughs> what band should I should, I should be checking out that I don't know of. Uh, MXPX. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and if you want a more, a even more modern example, Mast Intruder, that band's incredible. Mast Intruder. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think to answer your question, him like taking that next step so like you know 90s comes to an end like you're looking at the early 2000s where does that lineage go um i agree with eric i i love i still love mxpx um i um i actually like newfound glory i think that that's like when you think about that next step um i, w- I would point to that band i know that some folks find them hokey or whatever um, but they put out some great records in the very late nineties and then into the early two thousands. Um, and, you know, so thinking about like kind of what we were talking about as far as like, you know, elements of, so like this, like carbon copy of a carbon copy of a carbon copy thing is happening. Then when you go back to more of the bands that are more rooted in the Ramones and more rooted in that, that element of pop punk, that those bands went back underground like they like that 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 music didn't stop it's just it went underground and so you know there are bands that are playing music today that are you know very ramones influenced pop punk um you know eric mentioned mast intruder um you know there are some later bands that i would you know kind of current bands like teenage bottle rocket i would include in that the lillingtons um i mean so there's i mean there's a ton of bands um that are still making music today that have that lineage to pop punk but again like after the that explosion happened and the ripple effect started the the core of that music as the good charlottes and others cropped up it went back underground does uh, Fallout Boy have any lineage to this? I know they've done a lot of other th- types of music, but is there a they, root there? 
there there were comparisons early into their career, but then they became more of like an emo pop punk band. And keep in mind, like a lot of bands that were considered emo were technically more like pop punk influenced. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you want to talk about Cartel or All American Rejects, um, but it, it just kind of kind of came down to marketing. Um, but it was it was definitely a, a sign of things had changed when. You know, being a punk that was into pop punk and all that, it was accepted. It wasn't you weren't immediately chased down the street by the uh, school bully, you know, for being a little different. And uh, I, I think that just kind of happens where, like, if a musical genre just never completely goes away, eventually it is accepted by the mainstream, you know? Yeah, there's and I, when I think about bands of the early 2000s, too, that I like there's a band that comes to my mind like and they kind of put out their first album right around when fallout boy put out their second album because their first one was a smaller release but um and I, I still don't know how to classify them i don't like i would i would be interested to hear what you know you guys think of this band but it's motion city soundtrack a band that i love and they certainly are poppy they certainly have punk-ish type influences but I, I don't know how to categorize a band like that but when I look to the 2000s um, they're probably um, like for bands that were new in the early 2000s they're probably my favorite yeah they were very consistent but to me like they sounded like they really really loved uh, the get up kids a little bit of braid in the drumming which has been documented as like, yes, Damon Atkinson did have an influence on Tony Thaxton's playing. Um, right. But also they really, really like the cars and just kind of classic. Yeah. Uh, like Weezer too. Yeah. Oh yeah. We, we, Weezer's influence cannot be understated. You know, they were just kind of like an, an alternative rock band in the nineties. Then they became known as an emo band and like a big influence on pop punk bands just because of their influence was, was so wide spread you know it's just like that's that's how it was but just gotta reiterate to people weezer was a 90s alternative rock band that was it you know pinkerton was not considered an emo classic the blue album wasn't considered a <laughs> proto emo nothing of that but it's it's just uh it's it's kind of like you know i think the warp tour really reflected the changing interests of what the teenagers liked i mean in the mid to late 90s it was more of like a, an extreme sports uh demonstration with the various kinds of music they had hip-hop they had uh punk rock they had metal bands they had hardcore bands but they're they're often attached to being like you know this is like the commercialization of punk and fuck them but you know, Kevin Lyman ran a very successful tour for many, many years that outlived so many of his peers. And so it just says he was doing something right as far as listening to what teenagers wanted to have. And, um, you know, people that say, like, st you know, started a punk band in 1975 can be all bitter about younger generations. But it's just, hey, the music's just going to keep continuing with or without you. Yeah. And with the Warped Tour, there was definitely like Eric is absolutely right as far as it being a tour that catered to the teenage, you know, age range. Like I can speak from my own experience being an attendee of that tour in my teenage years. I don't know what actual age it was, but there comes a time like when I aged out, like it might have been 25. I don't know. But like where, you know, one year, like I'm totally a fan of several of the bands and then the next year's lineup is like 
complete garbage for me. And so, like, that's like, but I aged out. Like, he, you're you're absolutely right, Eric. Like, he, Kevin Lyman was focused on what teenagers were listening to in that arena as far as, you know, punk rock, rock music, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. And I think that's actually a really interesting point that you make about aging out because I was just, I was running this morning and I was listening to like a nineties indie rock playlist. And like, when I hear a song like cut your hair by pavement or, you know, I don't know, like an archers of wolf song or a helium song, or, uh, I mean, I can, I can keep listing them, but like that, that music doesn't sound, even though it's, I guess, sort of sounds dated in a way, it really doesn't to me because there's such a, layers of depth depth to it where i feel like pop punk is very surface level you know i think somebody said earlier like my mom sucks you know like my job sucks like you know i just want to get laid like that kind of stuff you 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 age out of that i think a little bit you know too and and i can't relate to anything like that i never really did to begin with but like you know there's very few bands from that from that era that kind of like matured in a way where it didn't look bad on them you know i mean i think that green day is probably like the best example of that where they like you know let classic rock and you know the who and you know those kind of like influences like kind of seep into their sound and and it it allowed them to be a little bit more timeless whereas like some of these work tour bands you know like they didn't they didn't really grow musically or lyrically as they themselves age you know um so it's kind of interesting to kind of think about this like musical genre that is almost like stunted in its growth you know um that like i'm sure there's a lot of people out there that hear it and it takes them right back to that time and it's really nostalgic and it's fun and it reminds them of their life before they had mortgages and kids and shit to worry about you know like i mean sometimes i eat taco bell and i'm like yeah, man, this reminds me of being like 15. But then I wake up the next day, I'm like, oh my God, why the fuck did I eat Taco Bell? You know, <laughs> like my body, my body can't handle this anymore, you know? And so like, I just feel like it's it's a, it's interesting, you know, to, to think about a musical genre that's very connected to this very short period of people's lives um, where a lot of folks, you know, typically end up growing out of it. Yeah. Ska was very much in that same that same thought pattern. Yeah, that's interesting because I, you know, right now when you turn on a corporate classic rock station that still plays like The Eagles and Ario Speedwagon, they'll also play Pearl Jam and a couple of select 90s bands, but I wonder in terms of like legacy radio how those pop punk bands are going to fit in because obviously they were huge and they sold millions of records but like i'll hear green day as like a you can you'll you'll hear green day on uh, sirius has a college radio station or they did um but i'll there'll be a um there's a, a metal station in columbus 99.7 the blitz who plays like, you know, the worst of the new metal bands. 
um, five finger death punch and that kind of stuff. But then they also throw in like a Green Day song every once in a while, and it'll be an old Green Day song. It'll be like something off a of Dookie, or it'll be Nimrod, or something like that. But they'll never play Blink One Eighty Two because that's too poppy for them. But since there's aggressiveness in some of that Green Day stuff, or they'll play American Idiot because it's got aggressiveness and it's not as sugary in the vocal department. Um, I just wonder where people are going to get that fix. I guess it'll come from streaming and from playlists and stuff and, and YouTube playlists and that kind of thing. But yeah, I, I was going to answer, I was going to answer that Tim by saying, I don't think we'll actually ever in terms of legacy radio, I don't think we'll ever find out because I think legacy radio will die out before we would get that answer. <laughs> I think as long as there's one baby boomer left, there will be a classic rock radio station to service them because we can never well, let the boomers go without having foreigner and Ario Speedwagon and tin Lizzie for one day. They must have those. Well, let's not, let's not, let's not uh, besmirch thin Lizzie. Okay. I'm sorry. I've just yeah, heard, yeah, yeah. I've heard the boys are back in town 500 Fair times enough. driving from school and back, which is only a five minute drive. And I'm like, you know, they had other songs, right? Like, Right. I, I realize your playlist is very narrow and you have to hit the same beats, but like, m- you know, maybe play one other track. Try right. to try so to play some, some jailbreak jail jail in there. Exactly. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. As, as, as somebody that worked in uh, commercial radio for many years, I just learned to accept that terrestrial radio just is going to be what it's going to be. It's going to be very narrow. But the great thing is, is that, as compared to when we were teenagers and we were younger, there was like just there was the radio and MTV. Now we have so many more options that we are never bored with modern music. I mean, we're always getting into new stuff. I mean, whether it's doing a podcast, whether it's sharing uh, playlists on Spotify or, or just uh, sharing a YouTube video, there's no shortage of that. And terrestrial radio may very well have like the classic hits format for yes i have to say it that way but it's like that classic hits format where they could play in like 2045 they could play when i come around followed by pour some sugar on me and then um i time in a bottle by jim croce it's just like that that's how it could very well end up but the great thing is is that we have so many different resources that we don't forget about this kind of music that really matters to us so yeah i mean there could definitely i i maybe there's some day that a dj is like hey remember the pop punk craze of the 90s well hey we're gonna play a classic from that and it's like you know come out and play um (laughs) and it's complicated uh, by Avril Veen. Yeah, yeah, which, uh, yeah, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just like terrestrial radio. It's, it, the reason why I got out of it is that it's not going to go away because it's a free service to a lot of people and there's a strong advertising reach, but it's just going to continue to be run by less and less people. And, uh, rather than being the last person to uh, turn out the lights in the office I was working in, I decided to uh, get into a different field. Well, in the grand scheme of things now, at least it's transparent in that it's music programming for people who don't like music. Like, that's their audience. It's actually like, it's, you know, that's the people that listen to that are just listening because they want something familiar. They don't actually like music. Right. It's it's for the non-adventurous eater. You know, it's it's <laughs> right. like, you know, you want a hamburger? Well, let's go to McDonald's instead of like, well, what about that? 
you know, cool little burger joint that's across the street. I don't know. I don't really trust that. Whereas (laughs) that seemed to be such the minority. But now these days when it comes to music consumption, it's like, uh, you know, just even like the Spotify list of like, you know, you go to a Green Day page and there are five recommendations right on their page of like, if you like this, you'll probably also like that. There were uh, many good pop punk uh, playlists on Apple Music, um, by the way. So there's no uh, if you're looking to get into the genre, if you miss it the first time, like me, I wasn't in it deeply. I mean, I know some of the big bands, but uh, I did find uh, quite a few that were pretty good. All right. Let's wrap this episode up. I want each of you to select. You are an alien has just landed and he has requested your finest pop punk album. What album are you going to gift this very specific alien visitor who I assume has a CD player or vinyl record, uh, you know, record player in his spacecraft? Uh, Ryan, what what is your selection for a pop punk album for someone who's never listened uh, to it? Do I, do I have to? Yes. Do I have to? <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to pick three actually. And, and the reason why is because I think it's important to kind of give a little bit of flavor of, uh, what in my mind, the genre was capable of and also kind of just tell you what my favorite pop punk esque records from that era are. So if I was going to do this, I would first hand them, uh, stranger than fiction by bad religion. Um, I just think that's, while it's not as like corny melodic, you know, harmony, you know, uh, Beach Boys, Ramonzi as, you know, the pop punk of the era. Like to me, it's just like one of the most kick-ass records by any punk fan ever. I just love that record. Um, so that's one. I would give them actually a record by a band that people probably don't classify as pop punk, but but to me they were in that world and and you know. We're, you guys were talking about Motion City soundtrack earlier, and one of one of the bigger biggest influences on that band, I think, is Superchunk. And uh, I would give them On the Mouth by Superchunk. Um, and then the last thing record I would give them, a little bit of a curveball. Uh, I think easily you would give them Dookie by Green Day, but I'm going to give them Insomniac by Green Day, which is my favorite Green Day record. So those would be the three records I give them and probably confuse the shit out of the alien. Uh, but that's what I'm going to do. Interesting. Um, okay. Eric, what's your pick and maybe around in a, in a runner up. Okay. I, the first one that came to mind, I, we haven't really talked about it and that's my brain hurts by screeching weasel. Um, just, that's like a bam after bam after bam great song after another and it just kind of like sums up a lot of like you know kind of teenage sort of mentality but really melodic songs it's it's a step beyond just ramones kind of songwriting you have like guitar leads over these nice little harmonies uh of of uh guitars the other one i would say is don't turn away by face to face uh just due to the fact that it shows that that could be it could be more than just sophomoric humor okay jeff your picks you guys are killing me here picking non 
pop punk bands <laughs> in a pop punk band time capsule because you so much want this alien to appreciate punk rock. I love that, but I'm going to stick to the genre. Um, I, by the way, I agree with Ryan. Insomniac is also my favorite Green Day record. Um, yeah. I, um, I'm going to put in. Um, it's really just a matter. I I have to pick like three as well. I have to go with the Descendants. Um, I'm going to choose Everything Sucks um, because it is the '90s. Um, I'm going to pick um, probably one of the most underappreciated bands in this genre in the era, um, Big Drill Car. I'm going to uh, choose their record, No Worse for the Wear. Um, and I am also going to, because um, it's like kind of like showing all the different spectrums, I'm going to also choose the record It's a Girl uh, by Sweet Baby. She used to be known as Sweet Baby Jesus. Um, cause they, that's just the, the wide spectrum. I love that record. It's, um, so it's, it's snotty. It's that whole, like my mom sucks and songs about girls and stuff like that, but great vocal harmonies. And so those are my three. Excellent choices. Everyone, you know, super chunks, a weird band because sometimes they're punky sounding and so, and they're obviously very poppy, but they're also can get pretty indie. I don't know how to describe them. They're a hard band to like pin down sound wise but that was an interesting choice um i want to mention some comments that we didn't get to eric peterson brought up the groovy ghoulies as his favorite pop punk band of the era um he also mentioned 90s misfits were very poppy um and then bands such as the vandals cox barrier which i was not aware of sparr 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 okay sparr (laughs) the rural juror (laughs) and uh Ian Wobble brought up a band from Australia, the Meanies, which um, I was not uh, familiar with. So there you go. Thanks to everyone who commented over at our Patreon page. And thanks to our guests for joining us once again. I want to remind everybody, when you go to our website, we have a guests page where if you enjoyed this episode, you can see where our guests have been previously. As you mentioned, they were all on the Power Pop Roundtable, but you might enjoy previous episodes that they've been on for other episodes, roundtables, reviews, that sort of thing. That's digmeoutpodcast.com. So you can look up Jeff, and but I'm telling you now, you're not going to find another episode where he's this angry. No. He was irate this episode compared to previous episodes. Guys, I'm going to just confess. I drank a protein shake before uh, this was recorded, and I'm just full of rage. <laughs> Raging. That's awesome. Well, well, despite all that rage, you're – never mind. I'm not going to go there. I'm still just – I'm not going there. The yep. 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 We're, we we, we got to limit the 90s jokes. We got we to gotta cut them off at the path, pass because uh, they're too easy. We need we need to go to the high high road on this. Um, <laughs> Jeff, Ryan, Eric, thank you all so much for spending your Sunday evening. Um, I'm sorry that you missed the end of the Super Bowl. Um, whoever won, I'm sure they were deserving of their championship. And uh, congratulations to the Rams. Uh, hopefully they won. <laughs> I really hope they won. I'll be disappointed I if I. Sorry, dude. My, my my attitude is at is this like, point it's like Schrodinger's cat. I don't know if they won or lost. So yeah. to me, 
they won. So just leave me in sort of bliss right now. I don't yeah. know either way. So they won. like a true Bills fan. Exactly. <laughs> in, instead of just like complaining on social media about the, the commercials as well as the game, we actually did something fun. We did something important, right. Jay, or, uh, Eric. We did something meaningful. Um, we have hopefully helped people understand the difference between punk and pop punk and maybe set some people straight. Maybe we've confused some people even more. Who knows what happens? But they can comment at Facebook or Twitter, Instagram on this episode. And, of course, join us over at Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash dig me out. Join our board of directors, become a union member, get a cool sticker, T-shirts, that kind of stuff. Vote in our polls. And um, you can leave us some positive feedback uh, at iTunes. So, Eric, Ryan, Jeff, thank you once again for coming back, gentlemen. Greatly yeah. appreciate it. You're welcome back anytime. Um, and for JM Tim, we're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com. 